0: Uh, Today, we're going to look at a message entitled, Dying to Live. Dying to Live. It says there, Romans chapter 12, verse number 1 and verse number 2. The Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove that which is good, an acceptable and perfect will of God. To live, we have to first die. That doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? Just saying it that way. To live, we have to first die, and we're going to look today, over the next several minutes, at five steps uh, in order to in uh, dying to live. I'm trying to figure out how to how to word that. Five steps in dying to live. Lord, I pray for your help this morning. I pray as we look at these verses, and we're looking at several different verses today, but God, I pray that you would help us to learn from them, Um, Lord, that you'll remind us of things that we need to be reminded of, that you'll teach us new things, give us something fresh, Lord, that you'll encourage us and that you'll challenge us, and Lord, I pray that you'd help me as I present these verses, that I would do it clearly and that I would do it correctly, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. A living sacrifice. Why would God ask us for this? Uh, It says there in verse number one that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. If you remember in the Old Testament, and we look at sacrifices and what does that mean? And sacrifices always meant death. Something had to die, right? It was a lamb, it was a bird, it was uh, a different animal, it was uh, Jesus Christ on the cross. All sacrifices involved death. And and so a living sacrifice God asks us for. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, Uh, And again, given to us by inspiration of God. It says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There are many people who will say, I want to live for Christ. If you ask them, do you want to live for Christ? They would say, yes, I want to live for Christ. But few ever make that living sacrifice. Few die to themselves in order to live for God. John 12, 24 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat falls to the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. The idea that just sitting up there on the, uh, on the wheat, it just, uh, it'll, it'll just be alone. But when it falls to the ground, it then plants something new. When it dies, it brings forth life. So five steps that we see out of these two verses that we read this morning, and I'm going to look at a number of verses. I've typed them out, typed them, I've copied and pasted them out uh, uh, so I can have them to quick access today. We'll we'll have you turn to a few of them, but a lot of listening today. Uh, Step number one is an invitation. An invitation. He says there in verse number one, I beseech you. Meaning, I invite you. And he says this, it's a family message. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Brethren in Christ, family of Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ. He's talking to the saved, those who have accepted Christ as their Savior, those who are now children of God. He's saying, I'm inviting you, an invitation. We see the importance of being a part of the family. We looked at this last week as well, but being a part of God's family, because of this invitation is given. It's important that we understand who it's given to, but we also want to make sure that we're a part of that family. And Christ says that you can be adopted in. Uh, you can be, be a part of the family of God and the fact that uh, uh, God wants you in. And there are a lot of people who question a lot of people who say, Oh, we're the children. Would you turn with me to Matthew seven? I want you to see this verse. Um, but with a lot of people who would say, I, I'm a child of God or we're all children of God. Uh, you know, it's amazing. I'm surprised at some of the people who say that because, you know, we're not all children of God. We can be. God invites us to be. But we're not just immediately all children of God. Look in Matthew 7. Look in verse 22. These verses uh, are, are just blow my mind. Matthew 7, verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. Have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I, God, profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. It goes to the crowd that says, God, we've done so many good things. We've lived lived a good life. We've uh, helped the sick. We've given to the poor. Um, we, we've been good to people, and God says, that's not what I asked you for. Now, God wants us to do those things. But when it comes to being a part of God's family, it's not the good. It's the saved. It's those who understood I'm a sinner and I deserve hell. Christ died for my sins so that I don't have to go to hell. And so I've called on the name of Jesus. God saved me, and he did. Though That's the family of God. And so we understand here, we want to be a part of the family. But we see that this invitation is given to that family. So if you're not a part of the family, today it's a great day to be part of the family. All you got to do is ask Jesus, and he welcomes you in. But along with this invitation, it is a family invitation, but it also has a forceful motivation. He says there again in verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your body as a living sacrifice. The mercies of God, it is motivated, this invitation and this action that is being asked for, ought to be motivated by what God has done for you. Doing something in response of God's mercy. Because God was merciful to me, the least I could do was give myself as a living sacrifice. That's what the motivation comes from. Uh, doing something in response to what God did for us. You know, God gives us second chances, right? God, God gives us third chances, fourth chances, fifth chances. He's very merciful. He's very patient. He's very kind. He's very loving. He's very forgiving. All of these things. As a result of what God does for me, I ought to be motivated then to do the things that God has asked me to do. The fact that it's God's righteousness, God's grace, God's mercy, That does so much for me. Titus 3, 5 says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. God did all the work. God loved me enough. God gave his son for me. God uh, 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 spared me. God uh, helped me, provides for me, uh, blesses me, chastens me, punishes me when I need it, corrects me. Uh, God does all these great things for me, that should motivate me to do things for him. It should not be hard for me to go, yeah, I should do what God asks me to do. Now, we we battle with it, right? Because our pride says, do what you want to do. The world tells you, do whatever makes you happy. God says, here's what I've done for you. Will you do this for me? One of the great things about God is he does not make us. He could. He has the power to do so. My goodness, he created us. But God is not like a puppet master. Now, the Bible says God directs our steps when we let him. But God does not make us love him. God does not make us serve him. God says, I love you. Will you love me? God says, I have done this for you. Will you serve me? Remember when he called his disciples and he says, follow me? It is somewhat of a command, but it's more of a request. Follow me. And if you do, I'll make you fishers of men, he says to some of the disciples. Follow me. And the disciples chose to follow him. And that's what he's asking us to do. He says, follow me. And the disciples, man, they looked at what Jesus did and they said, that's somebody we want to follow. And at that point, Jesus hadn't died for them yet. Yet they understood his love, his care, his compassion, the fact that he was something much larger than them. And they said, I want to follow him. Now we can look and we can read and we can see all that God has done for us back in the Bible times is giving of his life. And then we can see what he's done for us in the present and what he's doing for us on a daily basis. And we should say, God, I'll follow you. I'll do whatever you want. The invitation is here. I beseech you therefore, brethren. And he gives us the motivation by the mercies of God. There's the invitation. Number two, I want us to see a presentation. A presentation. He says there uh, in verse number one that you present your bodies. Present your body. It's a, it's a giving back. Why is it so hard to surrender everything? It was God's to begin with. He says that you present your bodies, that you give back your bodies, that you give it back to God. It's, it's what rightfully God owns. So you're now giving back to Him. In First Samuel, we see the story of David and the threshing floor, and it says in uh, chapter twenty-four, verse twenty-four, the king said as unto uh, Arana, "Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing." So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for fifty shekels of silver. He was he was going to buy this property that was offered to him for free, and he says. Uh, I'm not going to give to God something that I have not personally paid for. And we see here this, what God has done for us. And the fact the Bible tells us he's purchased us by his blood. We are God's. And we ought to be presented or given back to him. What is it costing you to serve God? We've talked about the idea of getting a little uncomfortable, doing things that um, don't necessarily fit into our normal routine, time-wise, you know, giving a little bit more to God, finding time to read our Bible and pray, and things that, you know, you know typically we, we're watching TV or we're doing whatever, and it's, it's actually taking a chunk out of our day and deciding, I'm going to do this for God. We talk about church, you know, you come to church on Sundays, and most of you come on Wednesdays, and and, and, and that's great, and you should, but you, there should be more in your week for God than that. And so it's a it's an understanding that serving is going to cost you something. Following God, it's gonna it is a sacrifice. There is, you're gonna have to give up something in order to follow. And we've talked about the rich young ruler. Uh, multiple times over the last couple of weeks where God says, he says, I've obeyed all the laws and all this kind of stuff. And God says, sell everything you have, give it to the poor and follow me. And he says, I'm not going to do that. Too big of a sacrifice. When you're presenting, when you're giving back when yourself to God, you have to understand it is going to cost something. And he says here it's a living sacrifice, not just any sacrifice, a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable unto God. 2 Timothy 2, verse 20 through 22 says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. What's acceptable? Holy, pure, clean, right. Now listen, we're not perfect. We know this. We don't live a perfect life, but we should be striving to. We should be trying to. We should be working towards that. I mean, the Bible tells us to, to be perfect as God is perfect, to be holy as God is Holy. That's an an unreachable goal, but it's a goal that we should have. God, I want to do my best. I want to live as clean as I possibly can, as pure as I possibly can. And when I mess up, I will claim the truths of Scripture, and I will go to God for forgiveness, knowing that He will forgive me, and then I'll continue to work from there. A holy sacrifice, an acceptable sacrifice. 1 Corinthians 6.19, what? Know ye not that your body is a temple? Of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. What you have been given by God, glorify God with it. Now we are Baptists. And we like to eat And I have never preached a message on gluttony in my life, my 10 years as a pastor. Why do you think that is? Because I don't want to hurt some of y'all's feelings. No. Uh, God says, I've given you your body, your flesh, your heart, your soul, your mind. I glorify God with it. How do you treat it? How do you corrupt it? Is what you do in your life glorifying God? Even in the things that no one else knows or sees, is it glorifying God? What are you allowing in the eyeballs? We used to sing a song as a kid. Oh, be careful little eyes what you see. And we do it with the ears. Oh, be careful little ears what you hear. And all these things. Why? It's teaching you got to be careful with what you allow in to the body that God's given you. Are you using what God has given you to glorify Him? Or are you corrupting it? That's as far as we'll go today on that. Well, we got to do it today. It says there in uh, Titus 2.12. Uh, no, wait, Titus... Yeah, Titus 2.12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So to deny the ungodly things, to deny the fleshly things, to deny uh, the worldly things, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly, where? In this present world. The world that God's placed us in. The time that God's placed us in. The place that God has placed us in. We've got to do this today. Present your bodies, give it back, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable um, today. And then it says, which is this reasonable service, it's a logical service. He died so I don't have to go to hell. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. It just makes sense that I serve God. You know, it's, it's hard because sometimes we'll give things, but then we kind of take it back. Remember the story of Abraham and Isaac, and Abraham was told, take Isaac and make him an offering. Kill your son. That's what he told Abraham to do. And Abraham obeyed. He marched out, got all the supplies, uh, went a good ways with a couple servants, told the servants, you stay here. Me and Isaac are going to go up, worship God, and we're going to come back, both of us. Showing his faith. They walk up the hill, and as they're walking, Isaac says, Dad, I see the uh, stuff for the altar, I see the fire, but we don't have a sacrifice. Where's the sacrifice? Abraham said, Isaac, don't worry, God's going to provide himself a sacrifice. They get up, and they build the altar, and they get the wood laid out, and Abraham says, Isaac, get on the sacrifice. From what we read in Scripture, Isaac obeys. I don't know what Isaac was thinking. I don't know if he had a conversation with Abraham. Dad, this doesn't make any sense. The Bible doesn't share that part with us. All we know is that Isaac obeyed and that Abraham obeyed. And Isaac got on the the, the altar and Abraham raised up his knife to finish things off. And God says, stop. He stopped Abraham. Uh, He praised him for his faith and his obedience. And he said, "There's there's a ram stuck in the thicket right over there for you to sacrifice. And Abraham went and got the ram and they sacrificed and they worshiped God and they came down the mountain. A lot of times, we'll climb the mountain, we'll build the altar, maybe even we'll get on the altar, but eventually we go, I'm going to need to get off this altar. I can sacrifice a certain amount. Maybe I can sacrifice my left foot, but, uh, but not the rest of me. Maybe I'm willing to give up parts, but not all. That's not an acceptable sacrifice. That's not what God asks for. We got to keep the sacrifice on the altar. We see an invitation. We see a presentation. Number three, I want us to see a complete humbling. A complete humbling. Colossians 3, verse 5, the Bible says, Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, Inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. We're talking about a complete putting to death. Things that we need to put to death. Things that we struggle with. And it's a becoming low enough to understand, first of all, I have these problems. I have these struggles. And then it's a complete mortification, the word that's used in Colossians 3, a complete death and a complete humiliation. Uh, the Bible tells us that in the first first of the signs uh, towards the end times, as in 2 Timothy 3, it says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? That's looked that way for a long time. But we see this, this, these signs that God says. He doesn't say, look at the crime, look at the politics, look at the natural disasters. That's not the first thing. He says, look in the mirror. The signs of the end times, that Christ is going to come back and judge the earth. He says "Is this, that men will be lovers of themselves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Look in the mirror. We're looking at a complete humiliation, a humbling, a complete mortification, a a putting to to death these things. Why? Because these things will bring on the the final judgment. He says there in verse number 2 of Romans chapter 12, and be not conformed to this world. We have to resist the pressure. Too often we're like Plato. Wherever the pressure comes, we conform. It's not how we're supposed to be. When the pressure comes, we ought to be more godly. We ought to depend on God more, but oftentimes we conform to the pressure. And God says, be not conformed to the world Proverbs 1.10 says, My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Tomorrow you're going to go to work or somewhere in this world and someone's going to entice you. And God says, consent thou not. Don't do it. Hebrews 11 says, By faith Moses, when he came, uh, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Moses made a choice by faith. I'm not going to enjoy the worldly desires. I'm not going to partake in the sin that, The Egyptians partake in. I'm going to go with God. I'm telling you, think about that for a second. He gave up uh, a throne. He gave up uh, uh, riches. He gave up doing whatever he wanted to do. To do what? To wander in the wilderness with a bunch of griping people. Was Moses perfect? No, he was not perfect. But there was a point in Moses' life where he made a decision. No matter what the world throws at me, I choose to follow Christ. That's a humbling experience. It's where he chose not to be conformed by the world, but to be conformed by God. We have to reject the pattern. The world will give you a pattern, you have to reject it. If you watch a TV show that has a relationship in it, more than likely, in most cases, you don't want to form your relationship after the relationship that you're seeing. on. It's unhealthy. Well, how am I supposed to know how to be the right kind of spouse? Well, you read the Bible, and the Bible tells you perfectly how to do so. We'll look at it briefly next week. We have to reject the worldly patterns and what the world's teaching and telling us how to talk and how to think and follow God. 1 John 2 Verse 15 through 17, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God shall abide forever. The things of the world have nothing in common with the things of God. It doesn't match. It doesn't blend. 2 Corinthians 6 says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Too many Christians try to blend in with with society and with the world. Should we love our neighbors? Yes. Should we love the wicked? Yes. Well, how do I know that? Christ did. But we should not blend. We are to be different. We are called out. We are to be separate. We are to stand out from among the wickedness of the world with the righteousness of God. Because things of light and darkness don't mix. Idols and the things of God don't mix. Righteousness and unrighteousness does not mix. Satan uses it more, uh, more of that, more of supposed Christians looking like the world. Satan uses that more than anything. Because it's no different. If you are lost, if you are struggling, man, things in life are rough and you go, I need help. I've heard about God. I want to go see if God can help me. And then you walk into a place of worship and and nothing is different from you. How is that going to change you? It's not. And listen, we all understand that there is a... ungodly piousness among religious people. Right. And I think, and I've made this clear. And and if I haven't, boy, I sure hope I have. We, we shouldn't be judgmental. We shouldn't be angry. We shouldn't look down at people. We shouldn't despise them. We shouldn't kick them to the curb. You're not welcome here. You don't look like us. No, but we ought to be different. Too oftentimes the ungodly love people better than the supposed godly people do. And God never says, in order to love someone, you have to accept them. No, He says, if you love them, help them do right. Treat them kindly, even when they're doing wrong. Be there for them and let them know, I'm here for you. I'm praying for you. I want to help you. Here's how I can help you. And There are too many religious people who say, oh, that person's godless and that person's wicked and and they can't come here until they get better. No, we want them here. And when they come, we don't want them to leave comfortable with their sin. You shouldn't come to church sinning and leave church feeling great with your sin. You have to come to church and hear that God loves you and that Christ died for you and that God hates your sin and He wants you to live righteously. He loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus, to die on the cross for your sin, to be beaten, to be spat on, to be humiliated, to literally be nailed to a cross for you. He didn't do that so that you could just go on sinning. He desires that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. He doesn't want you to be conformed to the world, but to the things of God. You have to be different. 2 Peter 2.9, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust in the day of judgment to be punished. He goes on to say, But chiefly, them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil dignities, whereas angels, which are great, greater in power and might, Bring not railing accusations against them before the Lord, but these as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things they uh, understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. Does God like sin? No. Is God going to punish sin? Yes. Does God love you even though you sin? You bet he does. But he desires that you stop. And desires that you do right. The pattern is not this world. The, also, the pattern is not other Christians. Hebrews twelve two says, "Looking unto the pastor." No, it's not what it says. Looking unto the old Christians. No, it's not what it says. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. God is our pattern. Will we live up to that? No. But we should strive to. Christ is our example. What does your pattern and your life reflect? Christ or something else? If it's something else, it's wrong. So we see a complete humbling. Fourthly, we see a transformation. He says there, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Change how you think so that you can change how you live. Second Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. How can I change how I think? I change what I allow into my mind. Be transformed. Change the way that you think so that you can change the way that you live. If you don't change from the inside, the outside won't last. You can put on a show for a while. You can fool a lot of people. Happens all the time, right? You see on the news some uh, wacko murderer. and All the neighbors say the same thing. I would have never guessed it. Such a nice fella. Brought me cookies. You know, Whatever. The outside doesn't matter if the inside's not right. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Change the way that you think so that you can change the way that you live. 2 Peter 2.8 says, For the righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with unlawful deeds. Talking about Lot in the Old Testament. He was supposed to be righteous. He was supposed to be right. But... It didn't matter because he was thinking wrong. We see it in David. When he was thinking wrong, he did wrong. We see it in Samson. We see it in Achan. All examples in Scripture. Psalm 101 verse 3 says, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. If you don't want to sin, don't let it in. Transform your thinking. Change what you allow into your mind. Billy Sunday once said, if you want to stop sinning, stay out of the devil's neighborhood. Don't allow yourself to be influenced by it. I know people that needed to change jobs because the influence was so bad. I've given advice and counsel to people to move. Because everybody there, we, you know, again, the church we pastored in Indiana, tiny little town, everybody knew everybody. The drug addicts, they'd get clean, but it wouldn't last long because they would still live in the same house and hang out with the same people. And before long, it was too much to overcome. And they were back at it again. And I did. I said, listen, I love you coming to our church. Uh, you know, I love being your pastor. I love being your friend, but you got to get out of this place. As long as you're here, that temptation is going to be so, so strong. Can God help you overcome it? You bet He can. We also have to be wise. Sometimes the things that we sit and allow into our minds, they're never going to help us. We're not going to get that victory. Replace the wrong with the right. Take what is not uh, uh, not godly, and put something godly there. Psalm one, nineteen, nine. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word, following God's word. 2 Timothy tells us the study so that we can be approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Philippians 4, 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and praise, Think on these things. Transform the renewing of your mind. Put the right things into your mind so that you can begin to live right. It might mean replacing friends. I don't know I've said this a lot. I thought as a teenager, friendship stuff was all for teenagers. Once you became an adult, you didn't have to worry about that stuff. Sometimes you have to replace friends. That's not easy. Especially the older you get, it's harder to replace friends. But listen, if they're dragging you down, Man, you love them and you share the gospel with them and you, you invite them to church and you pray for them and you pray that God would change their heart. But if it's not happening, you've got to get away. Change friends. And you have to change your entertainment, your music, what you're watching. Do what's necessary. The last thing today, number five, is a justification says there in verse number two, Be not conformed to the world and transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. A justification that ye may prove. This is our goal. Prove what is good or profitable. What is profitable? What helps you? When you follow God, you're not getting ripped off. Too many people think if I do what God wants me to do, I'm going to have to give up all of this and I'm getting ripped off. It's not the case. Yes, you're going to have to give up things. But if you'll read your Bible, you'll learn God says, I promise the end is always worth it. It is good. It is profitable. Satan makes you think you're missing out on stuff. You can go all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden to see that approach. You're not missing out. As a matter of fact, you're gaining. Prove that which is good. Prove that which is acceptable or pleasing to God and to us, I believe. If it's it's pleasing to God, I promise it will be pleasing to you. In Psalm 1611, it says, In thy presence is the fullness of joy. Psalm 144.15 says, Happy is that people... That is, in such, such a case, yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. Joy-filled, satisfied. The pleasures of sin will fade off, and the pleasures of God will last for eternity. Why Moses chose to give up sin for uh, the pleasures of sin for a season. He knew that if I stay here, I will enjoy myself for a time, but eventually that will end. So I'm going to go with God. And allow those pleasures to last. Things that are good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God. You can argue with God about what he wants for you, but God's not changing. The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His will and his desire for your life is not going to change. you say, well, God, but you don't understand. And, uh, you know, I, I really think that it would be better if I did this. And, and I really think that I have this great idea. And, and uh, maybe if you'll let me do this for a couple of years, then I will do that. And, uh, and God says, here is my desire for you. Will you follow it? Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. So that you can prove what is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Will you do it? What does it mean? It means that I have to die to self so that I can live for God. I have to put my own desires, my own wants, my own plans, and I've got to burn them. Say, God, I'm yours. What do you want from me? And I promise, I understand, that is not easy. But it's what God asks for. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies at a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We have to die in order to live. Or to sacrifice of ourself in order to do what God desires for us. I know I've said this before. I know some of you don't believe me. But I promise it's worth it. But you got to find out for yourself. Will you present yourself a living sacrifice to God and do what he desires for you to do? That's up to you to make that decision.